The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's eight minutes after eight. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Forum at Eight. Now, education is a constitutional right in South Africa, with schooling made compulsory for all learners aged between uh, the ages of 7 to 15. But what quality of education do we give our children? Some parents in parts of the country are prepared to camp outside certain schools which are perceived or known to offer a better quality education, so they will go there and and they will camp out for hours so that they could secure a spot for their children. On the farm this morning, we are taking a look at that and also asking, is access to quality education in South Africa an expensive exercise? What is your take on that? How much are you paying for your child's education at the moment? And uh, do, are you satisfied? Are you happy with the quality of education that your child is receiving? Are you one of those parents perhaps who's willing or who is currently in a queue or is, uh, you know, has camped out before in order to try and secure a spot for your child at a certain school We'd love to hear from you as well. 891 That's our call-in number. You can SMS us on the number 34701 or send your messages via Twitter or Facebook to AM Live on SAFM or to Sakina Kamwendo. So joining us for this conversation this morning, we have uh, the Director of Education Management and Governance Development in the Department of Basic Education, Mr. James Ndlebe. Thanks so much for coming through to studio. Thank you, Sakina. Good morning to the listeners. And we also have uh, joining us on the line, Dr. Yaka Deacon, who is the Deputy CEO of the Federation of Governing Bodies of South African Schools, uh, FETSAS. Thanks for your time as well, Dr. Deacon. Thank you and good morning. Now, uh, let me just start with you, uh, uh, Mr. Ndlebe. Looking at the papers this morning, these are today's papers. Places in the queue for sale. Some parents are prepared to pay uh, to register their children. And we're talking about amounts of 1,000 to 1,500 rand. This is just in the queue because someone has seen a gap, noticed an opportunity. What they've done apparently is they've taken homeless people off the street, some unemployed people, and they've put them in the queue. And if you want to go to the front of that queue, you can actually pay for that place, 1,000 to 1,500 rand. And um, uh, by all accounts, some parents are prepared to pay that. But we know uh, from other uh, accounts that they're not only prepared to pay for that, they are actually prepared to pay a bribe to people at the school to secure a placement for their children. Then there's another uh, story here this morning in uh, the New Age, uh, their lead story this morning, school spies visit homes. Now, outraged parents accuse Brackeners Primary in Alberton of uh, discrimination, bullying, and invasion invasion of privacy. And what they say happened is that an individual was sent by the school to their homes. And this was unannounced. It was in the evening last week. And this individual demanded evidence that the children seeking admission at the school actually resided at that given address. So all of these things are going on in the name of trying to find placement for children at schools that are perceived to offer a better quality of education. What's the department's take on all of this? It's it's very unfortunate that we have people that go to that extent of even trying to make money out of a sad situation. 
I think the, the challenge that the department is facing, especially in Gauteng, is basically shortage of schools in areas where the, 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 there is an effect of migration. If you look at our suburbs, we, we have people that are coming from all over the country because they perceive that Gauteng will provide a better living, better education. And what happens, you see a, a, a mushrooming of townhouses all over the place. You see shopping centers that are coming up, employing more and more people in there. But, but we're not building enough schools in those areas. And that creates a lot of demand in the areas. I know people will think it's basically township parents that are queuing in, the, in, in those schools. And the reality, it's not. These are people that are residing in those areas because there is a shortage of schools. And these are the people that are trying to make sure that they get placement of their children closest to where they live. Yes, there are elements of some parents who come from other areas that perceive that if they take their children to those suburban schools, then their children stand a better chance of getting quality education. But the truth is people are coming to Gauteng as the best province in terms of the economics, as the province that is number one in terms of uh, metric results uh, as we speak now. So that is the challenge that we're facing. But Mr. Ntlebe, when are we going to bridge that gap uh, between, uh, you know, in some instances, uh, former Model C schools and uh, township schools in terms of the quality of education that is provided. Um, When are we looking to actually have a uniform, you know, standard of education provided across the board? Sakina, there is a uniform standard of education that is provided across the board. All you need to do is to look at the current metric results. There is very little difference. In fact, there's no difference between what the former Modesty schools are producing in terms of metric and what the township schools are producing. If you look at Gauteng as an example now, all schools are performing at the range of about 80%. And that is why Gauteng is, is a leader in terms of that. And the second province will be your northwest, your free state. And when you look at the schools that are making those provinces to perform better, it is actually the township schools that have closed the gap. The best performing students in Gauteng, again, examples. These are children that are coming from RDP houses, attending schools in townships. So that gap has been closed. The standard of education is the same. They're doing the same curriculum. They're doing everything the same. I think the major problem that you see is having to close the gaps of the past. Former Modisi schools have better facilities, I must say and which are not available in townships. But when it comes to the actual teaching and learning, that, 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 that gap has been closed. It has? It has been closed. So, 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 so then why are you uh, still closing schools in townships? If, if, if the quality is the same across the board, why do parents then have no confidence in those schools and what they deliver? Sakina, it, it, it's very funny that... Uh, when we are still off air, I give you an example. I was in a township called Shawela, and I saw loads and loads of children coming out of the train. They were coming from Orange Farm, mm. coming to attend schools in Soweto. And, and the schools in Orange Farm are, are performing as well as the schools in, 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 in Soweto. Maybe it's a perception that anything outside my area is better off. But we're closing schools basically in some certain areas and so way too because the population has, has grown. It's elderly people that do not have children. Those young adults 
tend to move away from townships and settle in, in, in suburban areas. These are the people that are occupying town, townhouses in, in, in these areas. They are living closer to where they work and all that. So these are the people that are queuing in the areas where they live because they, they bought or are renting townhouses or they, they work in those shopping centers or, 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 or companies. But it that. isn't purely that. I mean, how many children travel daily? They are on our roads. We see them. You know, uh, you have associations that deal with scholar transport. And, and, and these are realities where children are actually moving daily from one area to another, which means their families, their parents are still resident in another area, in a township. And the children are then migrating to, town, uh, to, the, to the suburbs to go to school. Sakina, so, I don't want it to be perceived like I'm defending these schools. Yes, we, we do have terrible schools out there. And obviously, parents are voting with their feet and taking children somewhere else. But if you observe the movement of these learners in the morning, you realize that children that come from Mondio area, for example, there's Mondio High there, there's St. John, will be traveling to Parktown Girls, will be pa- traveling to Parktown Boys and all that. And you find other children in Parktown area are traveling. So, so there's a lot of movement of children all over the country. That is the situation. I think it boils down to parental choice, where parents believe that is a better school. I've seen children that live very close to a school, but they don't attend school there. They get into Kumbis, their parents are transporting them elsewhere, and children from another area, the ones that are occupying that space. So it's it's just one of the ways of making education very expensive and unnecessarily so sometimes. Mm. And then then, then when when it comes to uh, the registration uh, policy, uh, Dr. Deacon, I want to bring you in here. Um, the scenes that we are seeing currently in the news, in the newspapers of parents queuing uh, for, for, you know, overnight sleeping in these queues. Uh, this all speaks to, you know, um, people wanting to get in to a particular school. But what is the policy as it stands right now when it comes to the re- registration of children? Um, thank you. I think I'd just like to comment on two things. It's sad to see those queues but it's also exciting in the same breath. The fact that parents are so passionate about their children and that are so concerned about the education of their children that they are willing to sleep outside and to queue on behalf of their children. So, so we need to recognize the passion and the fact that most of those parents care so much about their children. It's not about politics. It's about the best interest of children. So I think if one keeps that in mind, and if one understands that we don't have any state schools in our country, we've got public schools. And the public school, in essence, belong to that school community. It's governed through a governing body. Now, in terms of the Schools Act, the school governing body is responsible for the admissions policy of the school. In other words, they must determine who will be admitted to the school. And there's a number of fact- factors that the school must take into consideration. Obviously, language will be one the capacity of the school, the availability of, of educators for that specific school. And obviously, if there's a huge demand, if there's only 100 spaces available and there's 1,000 applications, then the governing body must determine criteria which they will use 
to to allow the children to admit the children in the school. So what are those criteria? Because uh, very often parents don't understand. They cry foul. They feel they've been discriminated against. Just talk us through that, Dr. Yeah. Deacon. Well, that criteria might and will this definitely different will differ from different schools. Um, taking the specific circumstances of a school into consideration. Most schools will give preference to learners residing close to the school uh, as, as one of the first criteria. Or if there's already another sibling in the school, you'll get preference. Um, some of the schools will even consider uh, whether a parent uh, attended a, a specific school. Language will play a role. Um, and some schools will identify feeder areas. In other words, if uh, there's a specific primary school or two or three primary schools close to a high school, uh, the governing body can decide will give preference to these feeder schools with, within the proximity of our school community. And that's merely some of the criteria that schools will use. Mm. So you say a preference will be given. Does that mean that there are no rights you know, uh, here for people? Let's say you live around the corner from the school. Does your child not have a right uh, uh, you know, of getting into the school closest to them? Does it remain a preference? It's indeed for the preference. You've got a right to basic education, but you don't have a right to attend a specific school. Obviously, in an ideal world, your closest school should be the school which you should go to. It should provide quality education. We shouldn't talk about former Model C schools. They've been abolished 18 years ago. They were never more than 7% of the number of schools. So in an ideal world, that should be the case. But it's not the case because close to 80% of the schools are dysfunctional. And like Mr. Mblebe pointed out, parents simply voted their feet so they would walk past a number of dysfunctional schools to enroll their children at a school where they know we will get quality education regardless of the language, regardless of the cost, regardless of the risk of transport. I'm willing to take the risk in the best interest of my child. Well, uh, I want to bring in our listeners at this point because I see they're already calling 891 is that call-in number. And uh, just to reiterate that question we're asking this morning, is access to quality education an expensive exercise in South Africa? And uh, there are a few responses already coming through. Uh, Neo Diale says, quality education is costly and accessible via independent schools. Public ones lack a lot in terms of maths, accounting teachers and facilities. And then uh, this one for Af- from Africa for African says there's a perception that if you study in an English medium school, quality is guaranteed. So those are some of the views coming through. But I want to go to the lines now. 0891104208. Fred is calling us from Bramfontein. Good morning, Fred. Morning, Sakina. Well, and you? I'm good. Look, I was taught by my own father uh, that when you read you increase your advantage of performing well at school. And some of the teachers at school encouraged us to read, so that is what happened. And I studied in a township school. I took my children to a township school. My son is now doing BA law at UG. I mean, look, there's no difference between school A and school B. As long as the parents are involved in education, they play their part, they do the homeworks with the children, they get in touch with the school and the teachers. But they also become part of governments and they improve governments. Part of the problem with the Department of Education is that they don't do enough research into what is the phenomena that uh, encourages parents to take their children out of the township schools. 
Uh, even as you listen to the guest from the Department of Education, I mean, he's uh, giving us slogans. I'm not sure whether this matters. At some point, they would be able to research and give us empirical evidence of what uh, exactly motivates parents to take out their children. But for me, personally, I know that township schools are performing as well as any other school, precisely because the teachers even in township schools are competent. It's just that we are not giving them enough support. And they are affected generally by the environment that was encouraged in the past that uh, uh, what is black is inferior. And uh, anything else out of the township or your ability to speak the Queen's language in a perfect uh, way will determine whether or not you are educated, which is not true. It's a myth. So we have to fix some of those things. And these are simple matters that can be engaged through normal day-to-day interaction between parents, teachers. Uh, a simple thing like a parent knowing who teaches a particular subject to the child at school. And if the child drops in performance, they go and find out what are the challenges. can actually improve the performance of their children. Okay. Thanks so much, Fred in Bromfontein. Admires calling from Durban. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just want to also add that, you know, um, I, I think most, um, uh, one of the serious um, uh, problems which um, we as parents will have in, uh, in the government schools is that uh, it's not really, really about the academia. It's, uh, I think with education these days, uh, it actually goes um, uh, um, uh, around the board, you know, with also the discipline as well. Because trust me, in, the, in most of the government schools right now, we have lost the discipline which we used to have before. So as a parent, what I'm looking for is not only the academ- academia, you know, activity, it's also how disciplined are the schools because you also want to raise, you know, children who are well disciplined across board, not only being uh, being good in academics. So I think that's one area which most government schools used to really, really like, you know, um, look at and see how they can bring back the discipline in the schools. That's okay. what we're looking for. Thank you so much, Admire and Durban. Let me read a few messages. Um, Gillett in Durban says, It costs me 3,000 rand a month for my daughter in grade one, and I travel 120 kilometers return twice a day from home to get her there. Four pupils in her class. Education is nothing short of excellent, and good education comes uh, comes at great cost in South Africa. Uh, Alex uh, uh, Kifilwe says, why do we uh, why do we like lying my grade 10 a child could not believe the poor level of education in alex that's from kifilwe so she says definitely not the same level of education and uh, this one says please can your guest um Please, can I ask your guest, is a child allowed to be placed on a waiting list if you do not live in uh, the area of that school? Please explain, as I feel it is not fair. Another one, I hope you also saw droves of vehicles fully loaded with children to Lanasia. And then this one says, um, whenever there's a dispute between the teacher unions and the Department of Education, black children in the townships are the one ones most affected and perhaps that's also a reason why they flock to suburbia so those some of the comments but let me start with you uh, dr deacon um just talking about this issue of the waiting lists you know especially at times like these because you know it it really does get parents hot and bothered uh, so explain to us what are these waiting lists because apparently there's a first, second, third waiting list, not sure what it's about, what it's meant to be, but could you kindly just walk us through that? And the the, the person who sent that message wants to know whether this process is fair in the end. 
in this regard as well, um, there will be two lists at the school in most provinces, an A list and a B list. Your A list would be those children that that uh, fall within the admissions criteria, and they will be on the A list. Um, but in terms of most provincial policies, schools cannot simply tell a learner, you don't comply with our admission policy, um, we're going to send you away. It's to keep record of all the children, to put that child on a B list. For example, uh, the child enrolled will try to enroll, enroll at a school with a different language uh, of learning and teaching. And that child will be then placed, if they say we're not willing to uh, to be admitted to, let's say, an Afrikaans medium school, then that child will be placed on the B list, and that list will be provided to the Department of Education um, so that the provincial department can assist to find a school for those learners. Um, and unfortunately, on, on the waiting list, that creates a, a time period of uncertainty for both the school on the one side the provincial department and for the parent who is trying to enroll the child. And the departments will only start to deal with the B list the moment the first phase is completed. And then there's a second phase where schools then submit reports to the provincial departments in most cases to say, well, we have full capacity or we're not full capacity, we've still got the room. And then they start to work on that B list to see where can they accommodate the learners. But it's not simply a matter of placement. Even if you're in a, on the B list and the department sent you to another school, you must again submit an application for admission, and that school will use that admission criteria to consider the application. So it's not a placement. Now, what is this admission criteria? And, and, and is this available to parents so that they know exactly what it is that you are looking for? That's one of the first things a parent should ask the school. When you apply at the school, you should ask, can I get a copy of the admission criteria? Most of the schools will have it on, on the website, so you can do your research before you go to a specific school, and that should be available, and parents should know beforehand, before I apply, what's the admission criteria at the specific school. We're talking education this morning. Parents queuing all over the show to try and get placements for their children. So on the forum date, we're looking at this issue and also asking, is access to quality education a hugely expensive exercise in South Africa? And uh, some very interesting responses coming through. Um, uh, there was one here, uh, someone who said, I don't care about the price of it. First, I look for the quality and the price is something I deal with later. That's uh, one of the tweets coming through. But our guest this morning, uh, James Nzebe from the Department of Basic Education and Dr. Uh, Yaku Deacon, who is uh, Deputy CEO of the Federation of Governing Bodies of uh, South Africa, school governing uh, bodies, that is. Um, they are our guests this morning. So, um, you know, we were speaking about uh, the admissions policy before the break, and um, Dr. Deacon was explaining, you know, that schools actually have a set of criteria that's up on their websites and, you know, this is what parents should familiarize themselves with. But the reality, Dr. Deacon and uh, Mr. Ndlebe, is that when you get to schools, and many parents I'm sure will bear me out, you are immediately told for no apparent reason that yeah, your name is on the B list. And this is on day one. They said registration opens today, you there bright and early, immediately you're on the B list. So it seems as though things are done a lot more randomly at school than what you are currently explaining. 
Sakina, let's clarify that. Admission in schools is a provincial competency. It starts with the MEC of education in that province to promulgate regulations. The provincial regulations will indicate the priorities and the criteria that are need to be uh, are supposed to be used by schools in admitting learners. The school governing body will use that regulation in order to craft their own admission um, policy. But how this works? Let's take provinces that have gone far in determining regulations. Gauteng, for an example. What you'll find in the Gauteng regulation is that there are preferences that are given to, to, to children to attend to a particular school. For example, living in the area, which means children that live in a particular given area, the MEC will demarcate that area that these children in this area are given first preference to go to, to, to that school. They even use even measurements like five kilometers radius. Mm. So, so in reality, it means children who live five kilometers radius in that surrounding are given the first preference to, uh, to, 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 to go to that school. The next criteria is parents. But even that is random. I'll explain I will tell to you. you that this happened to me personally where I live around the school, the corner from a school, I went to register my child and I was told the school is full. Sakina, allow me to explain. The next step will be parents who work in the area. You, you might be living somewhere in Fort Lores, but you work for the SAPC. You come in the morning, then you are allowed to bring your kid with you transport him to the next school that is next to the SAPC. So that is a criteria. The other criteria, Yako alluded to that, that if they are siblings already, Mm. so we don't want parents to be traveling around, you better put all your children in there. So the cues that you see now are not cues that are saying, now I'm going to be admitted, my child is registered there. These are cues that are indicating the first come, first serve on those criteria. So what happens, you go to a school. When you arrive there, you you submit your application form. The school must determine whether you qualify in terms of those criteria. So if you are within the five kilometers radius, they need to write your name down. Are you number one? You are number one, you qualify, then they'll put you on waiting list A. So at the moment, all those cues, all the children are on waiting list. There's nobody who's been admitted or registered. They are all on waiting list. The waiting list is there to indicate the, the, the number that says you are number one, you are number two, you are number three. Then if they realize that you don't qualify in terms of residence, in terms of workplace, in terms of any other criteria that has been put aside, they must tell you on the spot that you do not qualify to be here, but they are not allowed to send you home. They have to put you on waiting list B. Then there'll be numbers there and B1. So when you leave a school, please ask the school to give you a waiting list number. That waiting list number will be saying you are 1A15 mm. or you are B whatever. You need to leave the school with that number, especially if you are in Gauteng. When 
all this is done, the school will then take those numbers and on a first-come, first-serve base for those who qualify and then admit them and offer them placement. If the school has 120 places for grade one, it means when they reach 120, in the order in which they came to the school, then they have taken the 120. The remainder will have to be given to the Department of Education and say, we have taken 120 based on this criteria, and these are the learners that we have taken. We couldn't accommodate the following. If it happens that there are still spaces they didn't reach the 120 quarter. Then they'll have to go to the bees and fill up the spaces with bees. Mm. So, so the process that is happening now is we are ranking people in terms of the criteria and on the, in terms of first-come, first-come uh, first base, based on those requirements. Now, then later, we will then indicate which children have been taken in those schools. Which brings us to another issue, that of bribery. Because this we've also heard. And as I said, in my personal example, this was some years ago, where um, living less than a kilometer from the school, I was told the school is full. I drove to the district office to protest this matter. And the district office then went through the process that you are giving me now. And eventually the child was admitted, put on the list, placed, admitted eventually. But the point I'm trying to make here is that what you are saying, what Dr. Deacon is saying, that may be how it should be happening. But I can guarantee you that in practice, this is not how it plays out. Things are done a lot more randomly. On the ground. And, and, and there are weird and wonderful things that parents are exposed to when it comes to trying to get their children admitted to schools. And I'm hoping that parents will call in and maybe tell us, you know, some of their experiences in terms of what actually goes on at these schools. Um, you know, uh, but also I think parents have a responsibility to familiarize themselves um, with the policies as they stand so that you will know how to enforce your rights when you do get to that point. I just want to take Sipo's call. Sipo's calling us from East London. Good morning. Good morning, Sipo. Um, just, uh, this is very puzzling. I mean, this is a long story. First of all, I went to two schools in town. The first one, I had heard that there are 26 children in the classroom. You must remember, the ratio says 1 is to 30. That's the national norm, right? I heard from this kid that now we are 25 in the classroom. And when I got there the following morning to, to ask for a place in a school, I was told it is full. Now, what are those five spaces there? Who are they reserved for? Secondly, I went to another one. Those are two white schools. I went to another one. I was told by the principal of that school that, look, we are in trouble. You have to bring me the contract where you actually live in that place. Otherwise, I was in trouble. These guys went physically to that place, and they found out that the person was not living there. Yada, yada, yada. I was so frustrated. And I'll tell you, the MEC of this province, the Eastern Cape, has correctly declared the education as a societal matter. But the problem, parents are too busy grappling with, a, with their daily lives of putting food on the table to concentrate on how their children are doing at school. For example, my kids do homework on a daily 
basis. I even assist them in Afrikaans. I last did it 15 years ago in grade 12. But I'm grappling and getting along with it because I need quality education. You go to the, to, to the location in Danzane, it's messy. Parents, and they don't care. If you put your, if your child is admitted at school down there, then it's good and nice, and the parents will turn their back and come back. They will just come for the result. It's bad, really. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Sipo, for sharing that with us. Um, Dr. Deacon, let me bring you in here as well. Uh, maybe you can also shed some light. Yes, I would, I would like to respond to Sipo. He referred to the ratio 1 to 35, and that's not the norm for the educator, the ratio between the educator and the number of learners. That's merely the funding or the post-provisioning model. In other words, the provincial department is obliged to provide an educator for every 35 learners in, in that specific instance. So it's post-provisioning. It's got nothing to do. In terms of the Schools Act, a governing body can appoint additional educators to enhance the quality of education in a school. But that's, that will be at a fee-paying school. In other words, parents will contribute, the governing body will appoint extra additional educators and then they can bring that ratio down and i think from the foundation phase grade one two and three it's crucial to bring your numbers below at least 30 to provide a good and sound foundation and then it can increase in the later grades but the foundation is very important that's the first important thing the second important thing is because of corruption and bribery and false information provided to schools Schools should verify the information provided by the parents. If the parents say, I reside, I stay next to the school, there's my house, and it's not your house, that's a lie. Then you are lying on the application form for the school. So the school must make sure and verify the information as correct on the application form. So per se, it's not illegal for the school to double-check the information. They are doing what they are supposed to do. And I'm concerned if we talk 20 years down the line about white schools or a black school. We've got public schools. And in a public school, there should be no discrimination. If you admit learners, it must be in line with the Constitution, must be in line with the Schools Act, provincial legislation, as well as regulations. So we should be uh, careful to categorize schools on a race, as that is not the case in the country. Yes, I can. Uh, it's a fact that um, when parents make applications to schools, following the criteria, somebody must verify whether the information is correct or not. And this is the period that we are in now. And, and there are many ways of, of doing that. Mm. I, I'm not sure if I support people knocking at my door to verify whether I'm there. I mean, there should be legal documents like water and light statements and all that that indicates mm. that the children... Isn't there you know, a policy regulating that? that, that there, there is. A, it is policy. So, so, so why are people going to people's homes asking them to even look in their wardrobes mm-hmm. to see if that child is actually here. That, that is why I'm saying probably the methods that you're using may, may not be proper methods, but there are ways in which you can do it in a legal way and as painless as possible. There are documents that you can produce that proves that, yes, you reside in a particular area. And, and the honest lies with the, the resident to really prove that I live five kilometers, I live close to the school, therefore I deserve to be uh, in, in list A or whatever. So, again, let me indicate that 
all over the country there are district offices. And, and we encourage parents that feel that law has not been followed to the latter to report these issues to the district like you did that the district went in and verified the information and so on. But it's not always easy. I could get into my car. I actually knew where the district office was. Parents don't always know. They all, they don't always have the means, you know, the money the, to, to actually get themselves to those places. Uh, you know, it becomes just another burden. So, so, so what happens in that instance? Sakina, I, I think we'll try by all means to ensure that parents have access to contact numbers and information and, and toll-free numbers of every department in, 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 in education that you can just call. You don't have to go there. And all these Department of Education have their toll-free numbers. Where, whether you're using a cell phone, it, you won't be charged for that. Another thing that I wanted to look at is exactly who declared the school for. I mean, if you go to a school and the school says it's full, I, I expect that school to have applied to the Department of Education to be declared full. And it's only the provincial head of department that can truly declare a school full. And it's not just the school. They can declare a grade full, whilst other grades can still continue to admit. But what I'm trying to emphasize is that whenever a parent goes to a school and asks for uh, admission and to register the child, as for that waiting list number, if the child has not been taken in that school, you are the principal is obliged to give you the reasons in writing. Mm. And what's this business about having to register every year? You know, like every year you are sent a form and then you have to uh, basically, you know, complete the same form every year to indicate that your child will still be in the school the following year. Shouldn't it be a process? Isn't there a simpler way of doing that, of saying indicate whether your child will be returning if there are any changes? But to go through that whole schlep every year, is that really necessary? The Act doesn't make provision for re-registration at the school. So why is uh, it if happening? you're enrolled at the school, you're enrolled at the school. Um, what departments should do and what schools should do is to ask a confirmation from a parent uh, in their own planning. Will we have enough space next year? But if you're enrolled at the school, there's no need to go back to the school and camp outside to enroll for the next grade. If you're enrolled at the school, you're enrolled until you voluntarily leave the school, until you pass the specific grade, or if something else happened to you, if you're expelled by the head of the department, but there's no need for a yearly readmission or a reapplication to be admitted to a school. Thanks, Yako. I, I don't want to believe that those cues are also due to people who are re-registering. No, 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 I don't think so. No, but, it, but, but, it's not. Yeah. All, all we need is confirmation that, yes, my child will be coming back so that we can make that space available if the child is not coming back. And another thing that we need is if there are changes of details, maybe parents' details, addresses have changed. Yes, that's all we now need. Now, you see, that makes perfect sense. But again, uh, Mr. Ndlebe and uh, Dr. Deacon, what you are saying and the reality are miles apart because this is not what is happening. Parents are asked to complete those forms every year. Around October, they will be sent out and you will be given a deadline. And if the child does not return this within that, they will not be admitted at the school the following year. That's what you are told. And these are the realities that parents grapple with. We cannot condone if 
schools or governors or officials take the law into their own hands. That's simply illegal, and we should deal with that. And there's legal mechanisms to deal with it. So if parents are victim of bribery or fraud or whatever, they should report. Report it at the governing body. Report it at the provincial department. Give us the names as governing body associations, as FEDSAs. And if, if our members are involved in conduct like that, we will deal with it. But um, the fact of the matter is there's clear prescriptions in terms of our legislation, in terms of the regulations, and we cannot simply take the law into our own hands. Parents are sometimes also guilty. They simply accept everything they hear, either from the school or from an official. And the same applies for governing bodies, where provincial heads of education would sometimes issue letters giving instructions contrary to the Schools Act or contrary to regulations. And that's also a huge problem in a number of provinces. And that's one of the main concerns on the admissions, specifically in Gauteng currently, on the electronic submissions. And we are really concerned that, that the MEC is not in line with the regulations. But we're not going to debate it in the media. We will take the legal mechanisms to deal with it and to interact directly with the MEC and provincial department. It's uh, five minutes before nine. And uh, just to take the last few calls and maybe read some SMSs. Macy, you're calling from Mayfair. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I want to know, we're talking about verification of addresses and knocking at people's doors. I actually don't blame when somebody goes through that length because for, um, um, my, my child is going to be in grade one and it's my first child, so the whole process was quite scary for me. I had literally stayed up the whole night at one school to hopefully get my child in. I have heard from the parents where they got different houses. So what they're doing is they say, if I'm living in area A, but I want my child to go to area B, because I got a property in area B, I'm actually using the address of area B, but I'm living in area A. Now, I got a proof to show that I got a property in area B, but I'm not living there. How fair is that? And is that actually allowed? All right. Thanks, Macy. Bashir in Indonesia, good morning. Hi. Uh, my question is, you know, who sets the rules really? According to principals and teachers, it is the department that sets the rules and not the parents' committee. They say when they go for workshops, the department lays down the law, and uh, when school committees or parents object, they say, look, this is it. And uh, so I'm not too sure who is telling the truth here. All right, thanks, Bashir. Nikki Clark on Twitter says, uh, MECs are political. How can they direct enrollment registration? Isn't education a national priority? The idea of a province setting the regulation is very flawed. This should be developed at national level. And a few others, Stephen in Durban says, uh, the book Freakonomics proved that achievers will achieve in any school and those who do not achieve won't, no matter what school they attend. And uh, Mariana in PE says, I wish the Department of Education can partner with NGOs and social entrepreneurs with innovative ideas to improve rural and township schools, but corruption is their focus. Open teacher training colleges and teach the children. That is what should be done. Okay, just a final response because we are running out of time. Dr. Deacon? Yes, in terms of the Schools Act, Section 5 of the Act, it's clear that mission policy of the public school is determined by the governing body of the school. It's not determined by the MEC or by the HOD, um, but 
the admission policy is subject to the Schools Act and applicable provincial laws. And there's a clear constitutional court case in the Ravonia matter. So the final say on the admissions policy is of the governing body. If there's a concern from the MEC side or any official, then they should interact directly with the school governing body and they cannot simply overrule a decision without proper engagement with that school governing body. Mr. Ndlebe? In short, governing bodies can come up with policies, but those policies should be in line with, with, with the Act, should be in line with the re- provincial regulation. And whenever a governing body come up with, comes up with a policy, the Department of Education must scrutinize that policy and, and so, so, so sort of allow it to, to, to operate. So what you see now are admission policies that are not ratified by the department and where there are challenges, these are not picked up. But uh, lastly, Sakina, I need to indicate that education, yes, it's a societal issue. We, we tend to be observers of things that go wrong and do nothing about it and, and allow things to happen. Parents have the power. We have just completed our SGB elections now. And those are the board of directors that are supposed to be governing these schools. So if the quality of education is poor in a particular school, it is the responsibility of the governing body and the parents to ensure that there is monitoring, there is oversight monitoring that takes place in those schools and work with the Department of Education. Schools that are doing well are doing well because they are well supported. These parents that are queuing there, I hope they are not queuing for the last time. They need to be there throughout the, the life career of their children in those schools and support those schools. We talk about lack of discipline in particular schools. Where are those parents? They are not there. Mm. But as soon as these parents go to these suburban schools, then you see them participating and becoming actively involved in the decision-making processes and all those things. But where they live... They normally don't do that. And I think that is where the major problem is. We're not supporting our children adequately. And that's unfortunately all we have time for this morning. James Ndlebe, Director of Education Management and Governance Development at the Department of Basic Education, and Dr. Yaku Deacon, who is the Deputy CEO of the Federation of Governing Bodies of South African Schools. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening as well. We'll be back tomorrow. And right now it's time for news with Vibakshni Chetty Miller.